broadcasting live from the Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. Armstrong and Getty. And now, here's Armstrong and Getty. From Studio C. C, senior. You know, it's a dimly lit room deep within the bowels of the Armstrong and Getty Communications compound. And today, as we near the weekend, we're under the tutelage of our general manager. You know, I'm torn. I've got a couple of different ideas. I don't feel terribly strongly. Uh, I was I was tempted to go with um, irrational politics. I was looking up and down the, the stories that we're going to talk about today. And, well, there's a lot of just... Dreamland unicornian thinking. It's as if there are no adults anymore. Um, yeah. It smells like cologne in here today for some reason. Yeah. Was there yeah, a, I got a little lunch meat planned. Was there a used yeah. car, was there a used car salesman in here at some point? <laughs> it smells like a used RV salesman in here. <laughs> It is stunning how long that sort of thing lingers in a space. Yeah. It's funny, the thing with a whole cologne and perfume. There's a, the, I'll be very vague about this. I almost said something terrible. Anyway, I came in contact with a person. <laughs> Go ahead. The other day, I didn't come very close in contact with them, but I was bowled over by their uh, cologna. And I just yeah. thought, you know, did you start that way? Or did you just like, is it like tanning? Where you get used to how tan you, some people they get used to how tan they are, and they feel like they're not tan enough. And the next right. thing, you know, they're a different race. They're uh, a catcher's mitt. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, is that way with cologne? You just like you first time you put it on, you kind of noticed it, and then you have to you get used to it, and you have to keep increasing it. I, I don't know. I I think maybe so. Yeah, because you don't you don't smell it anymore because you lose sensitivity to smells. But uh, we got in the car with some folks the other day, and I I got the unmistakable whiff of cologne, and my opinion of the human being in question <laughs> dropped. And and it it probably shouldn't. Well, it do, it does seem to go with certain personality traits, doesn't it? I don't know if I can nail them down, but. I don't think there's a hundred percent correlation. No. Oh, That's what I'm saying. Absolutely not. Right, right. You can't even if sixty-five percent, two thirds of cologne wearers are somewhat dishy. Um, you can't assume <laughs> that. What are the personality traits of cologne guy? Text line four one five two nine five KFTC. An aggressive scent. What are the well, now- common personality traits of cologne guy? I I remember back was it the eighties the nineties? It was pretty common. Uh, to just have a little bit of cologne, but I, I, I drifted away. I ended up throwing, I had bottles of decades old, like nice cologne, uh, that I finally just threw away. I think it had more to do with me, um, I don't know, when I became a married guy, I stopped wearing cologne. I don't know. I couldn't consistently remember, so it was difficult for me to become a cologne guy. Well, the key, the key, folks, if you choose to become a colonist. That's funny. You know, uh, this, this might have been a turning point. I just thought of it. I remember it. It's uh, horrifying and embarrassing. Uh, a girlfriend said to me, I can tell you the summer of 1990, it would have been July. Um, She dumped me. I knew she was coming over to dump me. Oh, boy. But I still got kind of dressed up and everything like that for some reason. I don't know why. 
was hoping hey. she'd change her mind or something. You want to be more impressive and not pathetic. I get it. Anyway, I'm standing on the front porch of this duplex I'm running, and she pulls up in the driveway, and she gets out of her car, and she says, I can smell you from here. <laughs> oh, boy. Things had soured at that point. <laughs> so I had perhaps overdone the cologne as she could smell me from the driveway. It was the summer of 1990. It just doesn't have the ring. It just doesn't have the romance. Uh, We need to start the show. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty on Thursday, July 22nd. We are Armstrong and Getty, and we approve of this program. Oh, I didn't finish the thought. If you do choose to become a colonist, here's the key, fellas. And ladies, too. No one should be able to smell it unless they are in your personal space. Okay? Unless... You have achieved some sort of intimacy with them. All right? Please. Quality of the uh, the smelly stuff matters a lot, too. The cheap oh. stuff is a lot harder to take in bulk than the more expensive stuff. I don't know why. I have no idea why, but it just is. And we will begin the show, but you know, I always enjoy hearing your your presentation on uh, cheap bar girl cologne. <laughs> it's a specific uh, smell. Perfumes. It's a specific yeah. smell. I've never known what it is, but it's uh, a yeah. bar tramp has its own smell. <laughs> oh, golly. All right, let's begin the show officially now. According to FCC rules and regs, here we go. Smelling like roses at Mark. <laughs> And minds are changing. There is only one spam. Spam is in the news today. We'll get to that story later. Well, and canned meat in general. You know me. I love meat out of a can. Hey, I got to say this because we missed this story yesterday somehow. I don't know how it didn't get to us while we were on there because we talked a lot about the soccer team, the women's soccer team losing to Sweden. They Uh did, most of them, kneel during the national anthem. That's correct. Yep. And uh, I wish that had happened during the show yesterday, so I could have said what I'm going to say now. I hate you, and I hope you lose. <laughs> eight, uh, eight of the starting eleven took yeah. a knee. No, I hope you lose. I uh, screw you. I hope you lose. And I, I can, I can actually back that up with a decent argument. I think that is not just like you know nationalism, rah rah, up with the United States. We are locked in a global struggle with authoritarians around the world. This is a international stage. This just isn't a, you know, for the United States consumption about police brutality. Why are they even kneeling? What is their cause? Do you even know? I asked the eight who knelt. You'll probably get eight somewhat different answers because they have a vague, childish notion of what they're supposed to do to show how progressive they are. Yeah, it's cool in their progressive circles is the main well reason. Well said. Then. But yeah. um, we're, we're locked in an ideological battle with authoritarians and communists around the world, and the Chinese... And the, and the Russians and other countries will use this propaganda against the United States to try to convince the world, see, the United States is not that great. Their own people hate them. This is not just Colin Kaepernick, you know, kneeling at a, a, at a game in Tampa. This is, this is a big deal. And if they won the gold medal and they do this on the podium, that's an international story for days in China. Bar them from returning to the country. So I cancel their citizenships. I'm abs- send them to Gitmo. I'm absolutely I don't know about that, but I'm absolutely for them losing and not having an opportunity to make this. Uh, you know, look how look how the the people of the United States don't even like their own country will be the news in North Korea and China and Russia and a whole bunch of other places around the world. Right, right. So I, I hope they completely. lose. I, now I have a rooting interest. And it's just freaking stupid. It's just freaking stupid. I it's think ignorant. I'm, yep. I'm against the kneeling domestically. But, you know, if that's what you want to do, I think you're hurting your sport. I think less people are going to watch. I think you're hurting your brand. Less people are going to buy your stuff. I think in general, 
But, you know, it's a domestic story. But on the international stage, it's just dumb. You're going to put the United States in comparison with the entire world? Now you're just being dumb. Yeah, that's a good point. A lot of your gay, you know how many countries in the world it's against the law to be you? Or it's you like calling my- out. Well, it's like calling out dysfunction in your own home, saying, "Hey, we need to work on these things." That's not so great. As opposed to standing up in public at some big meeting, maybe at church, and saying, "You know, she does this and he does that," and blah blah. blah. You know, bad mouth in your. It's an internal matter. We're working on it. Don't don't bring humiliation to your country. Now that is so uncool. So uncool. I can't believe that didn't get more attention yesterday. Well, I think, well, I was just reading that the uh, NBC plans to make more than the $1.2 billion they made from the last go-round of the Olympics this time. And uh, and they're not going to say anything. They're going to soft-pedal the hell out of this sort of thing. And they own the rights to the, the video at this point. Because they know how a large percentage of America oh, reacts to that sort of thing, especially on the international stage. Yeah. And if look, if you're taking a knee saying we all must, uh, you know, recognize internet or uh, universal human rights and natural rights, and all Americans must be protected, and the, the Bill of Rights is for everybody, blah blah blah. Okay, that's uh, you know, I could I could tolerate that. I still think it's a terrible idea. But the fact is, they're all taking a knee, and they believe in these idiotic, corrosive, you know, like uh, uh, racial inferiority theories, like critical race theory and, and similar stuff. So I mean, it's just doubly galling. Screw you. Hope you lose. Glad you lost. Hope you lose again. How does mailbag look? Oh, it's it's quite nice. Uh, the the, uh, the folks know what they're talking about. Really? Oh yeah, that makes it's sense. authoritative. That makes one of us the folks. I can't put myself in that category. I'm dimly aware of all subjects. Um, Dummy. What? Oh, as Trump Dummy. said. <laughs> Dummy. It almost sounds like he's saying gummy. Dummy. Bears. Uh, how do you like to take in your THC, Mr. President? Dummy. Worms. <laughs> Our text line is, uh, what? tell us the personality traits of Cologne Guy. Text line 415-295-KFTC. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Yo, yo, yo. I don't wear cologne because it sounds too close to being a colonist oppressing others with their strong smell. (laughs) (laughs) Well played, my friend. (laughs) That's good stuff. My husband has been wearing too much cologne since I met him 25 years ago. He got the COVID. Now he says it smells like smoke and he stopped wearing it. Yay. (laughs) Says his wife. Well, that's interesting. She feels like he's been wearing too much cologne since she first met him, but she and married yet. him, and uh, you know, and they're together. Yeah. So well, fun. we all have flaws. I mean, I suppose that's one you could overlook, depending on the cologne. My stinky twelve-year-old thinks you should put on deodorant like cologne. You spray it and walk into it. <laughs> I've known people who did that. That's interesting. You make kind of a cloud of the 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 the, the, the droplets, and then you walk into it. Well, and now you got a generation of lads who are convinced that they need Axe body spray all over them and that the girls will go goo-goo for them if they do it. They won't, fellas. Trust me. Cologne guy calls women sweetheart. Cologne guy is trying to hide the smell of alcohol sometimes. There's a little of that. I've known a few Hmm. cologne guys that were drink-all-day guys. (laughs) Does that work? Asking for a friend. 
I don't know. I'll bet, I it, kid. I'll bet it does. I'm as sober as a judge until the evening hours. And then you're not. And then I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And what to do you? Yeah. How about you mind your own business there? Here's your freedom-loving quote of the day from the great Thomas Sowell. At one time, educators boasted that their role was not to teach students what to think, but how to think. Today, their role is far too often to teach students what to think on everything, from immigration to global warming to the new sacred trinity of race, class, and gender. Boy, that's a pretty good one. I yeah. remember I remember my favorite college professor who was my advisor in college. His thing was, uh, uh, as, a, as a professor, in a, your, your goal is to teach you how to, how to learn and the desire to learn, the love of learning. But no, I think it's more about what you're supposed to believe. What, they want to craft what you think coming out of there. Exactly. It's indoctrination. Here are the ant. This is the modern classroom. Here are the answers. Now regurgitate them. And don't you dare ask any questions or I will shout you down. I will badmouth you and the video will probably end up on the Internet. And if you don't believe what I'm telling you, uh, you're wrong. You're a bad not you're not just wrong. You're a bad person. Oh, that's what the teachers are saying. Yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, hey, on that topic, uh, I have railed against presentism uh, i may have been guilty of it in a way uh, but i was set right in in a fashion that i think you'll find very interesting uh, it has to do with uh, our discussion of george orwell and socialism yesterday so so uh, coming up joe's gift of the definition of presentism well my uh, my comeuppance uh, enjoy it okay at my expense although i enjoyed it mailbag Guys, writes Mike, came across CNN tonight. Crazy Uncle Joe was in a town hall. Holy cow, America should be scared to death. Pull clips, guys. He doesn't know what the hell is going on. Uh, we are indeed. We'll have some clips of that coming up. Oh, I, di- I didn't see it. Oh, by the way, we failed to tease a great segment we've got coming up. If you haven't heard this, speaking of indoctrinating kids, something that almost happened in classrooms all over the place uncovered you'll be shocked when you hear what they were going to teach kids or what they wanted to do to schools and then when busted said oh that was an accident that was a mistake when there's no way in hell it was a mistake it's kind of scary uh the always interesting paolo guys we need answers on the dangers we actually face from covid variants what is the risk of the deadly vaccine evading variant the variant from hell or as he calls it for the rest of the email that vfh do we have reason to believe that there is a real non-negligible chance that one emerges? Or is, it, or is the VHF risk no greater than it is with other viruses, like the seasonal flu, which mutates much faster than the COVID virus? I've never heard any VHF concerns over the f- seasonal flu, nor any other virus for that matter. Why with COVID? That's a decent question. I don't know the answer. Do you know the answer? Why, uh, why, no, why, I don't. Why don't we hear all the time that a flu could mutate to the point that it kills healthy people and uh, vaccines don't work? Why would that be less likely true than the COVID? Well, I think because the, the flu just isn't as scary. And it's not as good clickbait. Uh, the but flu why has never it... call, killed 600 and some thousand people in the United States since 1918. No, but why couldn't it Why couldn't it mutate into what it did? That's what I don't get. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, Paolo writes, anybody trying to scare us into compliance with the VAFH boogeyman needs to answer these questions. If the risk is real, we need to be much more aggressive about vaccination. Although, as uh, loyal listener Kevin pointed out, um, was it Kevin? Uh, I think so, yeah. Uh, There's no way we can control the rest of the world, and even Israel's seeing a big uptick in cases, and they have, I think, 90% of their population vaccinated. 
But they're not seeing a big uptick in deaths and the rest of it. People are just getting mildly ill, which will continue to happen for the rest of our days. Here's a lovely tale of, uh, this is why travel is so great. It, it broadens the mind. Rob says, recently had a business trip to Seattle, elected to take my 15-year-old daughter to show her Pike's Place, Space Needle, etc. Seen a couple of documentaries on YouTube from Como News about the homeless crisis taking place there. Yeah, I had my doubts, uh, but hoped surely downtown near Pike's Place would be kept clean. As uh, I haven't been there for a while. Two block, two block walk from the hotel, 9 a.m. At first, seems the streets were clear, but when we walked to the first crosswalk, I noticed the corner we were about to cross had an awful lot of sketchy looking people just standing around. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Uh, my spidey senses started tingling. Noticed there was a person coming out of an alley in front of us who was clearly homeless behaving erratically in the middle of trying to figure out if it was going to be safe to pass them. When he put his hands down his pants, I had about two seconds to process what was happening before he pulled his wang out, exposing him in front of my 15-year-old daughter. Oh, that's fantastic. Welcome to Seattle. That's just great. Uh, he said, now, the rest of the trip wasn't that's because, nearly as- That's because rents are too high. That's correct. Yes, that man masturbates in front of teenage girls because the rents are too high. Uh, the perils weren't that bad, but we navigated urine-smelling streets, feces on the corner of stairs, Ugh. several erratic people yelling at each other, et cetera, et cetera. People walking along, the crazies and the druggies and the poop. Walking around them, I should say. What almost ended up into schools until it was, I don't remember who uncovered it. We'll have the story for you. Wait till you hear this stuff. It makes BLM look like, I don't know, the Kiwanis Club. (laughs) It's crazy stuff. Radical. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Princeton out with a study that says this is likely to be the worst year ever for illegal immigration. We'll get into some of the numbers from their study coming up a little bit later. Sure, a hyper-conservative group like Princeton University would say that. Wait a minute. We got more texters with uh, what are personality traits that go along with being cologne guy. That is a guy that you can smell as cologne without being even remotely close to him. So we'll get to that later also. Fantastic. Also, my comeuppance. As it turns out, I was dangerously close to engaging in presentism myself. Oh, no. And it is a great learning opportunity, a teachable moment, he says, using one of his least favorite phrases in the entire language. So the Biden administration put out a guide to getting back in school after the COVID and how you should spend the billions of dollars that were unnecessarily hosed around the country, including <laughs> in, just like, you know, it's cleaning out the elephant pen style hose, just money, just spray it all over the country. Nobody cared where it went or who got it. And it's still spraying today. Anyway, so they put out this big uh, guide for schools and it included uh, the money thing and said, hey, you should spend a significant amount of of the money on uh, on uh, you without using the words critical race theory. You should uh, spend it in dividing all the little children by race and lecturing the white children and saying how they're bad and, and bear the weight of history and be sure to convince the black children they don't have a chance in America because it's systemically racist and blah, blah, blah. And it included several links, one in particular. If you want more information, uh, uh, click on this link for this fine organization at this point uh, we will turn things over to there it is uh aisha hosny on fox news clip number 50 please 
President Joe Biden's American Rescue Plan authorized $122 billion to the Department of Education for state education agencies. 90% of that money will go to local school districts, which in turn must reserve at least 20% to address the learning lost during the last school year. The administration asks they do that by using evidence-based programs like summer learning and after-school activities. But that's not all. Inside the Department of Ed's COVID-19 handbook called Roadmap to Reopening Safely and Meeting All Students' Needs, the department recommends schools use some of the money towards race and social-emotional learning programs, offering a direct link to a group called the Abolitionist Teaching Network, who would assist with that. Abolitionist Teaching Network, a network that is dedicated to not creating new schools or reimagining schools, but destroying schools that do nothing but harm black and brown children. They're destroying schools that do nothing but harm black and brown children. Man, there's so much to hate in that whole thing, that whole story. So we uh, sprayed with a fire hose, as Joe said, money at schools all across the country because of COVID, which is now mostly over. And uh, and there's almost no talk in there about money to, that has anything to do with COVID. Now, the idea that the kids fell way behind is real, and I can see how you need more money to address that. But only 20% of the money is required to go toward catching kids back up. And by the way, kids wouldn't need to be caught up if you'd have left the schools open, which you could have safely. So you created your own problem, then demanded money to fix your own problem. Anyhow, exactly. I don't want to get confused on that, because that's a completely different sub- separate topic. But of the billions and billions and billions of dollars that are being thrown at schools, only 20% has to go to catching kids up. What's the other 80% going to be? Well, some of it is this crap, emotional racism or whatever they're calling it. And and before we uh, get back to that crap, I've got to point out, what does it mean $20 billion to catch kids up? Isn't all of education getting kids from where they are knowledge-wise to where they're supposed to be? Yeah, why that requires, well, they talked about summer programs. Well, yeah, okay, fair enough. Summer programs and after-school programs, which could cost more money, but still, uh, and and, and how effective will they be? uh, It's it's so horrible. The whole thing is so horrible. So let's get back to the America-hating racist uh, gal, Brandilyn Tassalt, I think her name is, from the Abolitionist Teaching Network, and click clip 51. Dr. Bettina Love, an author and activist, created the Abolitionist Teaching Network in 2020 for what she says is to develop and support educators to fight injustice within their schools and communities. If you don't realize white supremacy is in everything we do, then we got a problem. Love wants white teachers to undergo anti-racist therapy to stop them from what she calls spirit murdering black and brown students. So one of the things that I bring to this work is um, a significant history of trying to trouble my own racial identity and trying to help other white teachers trouble their internalized white supremacy and anti-blackness. You, you white people that have bought into this crap and are saying things like that, I need to recognize my own white supremacy and... I need to trouble my own beliefs. Yeah, whatever that And help that other means. people trouble theirs. Yeah, you, you people... Those people are so crazy. They're I mean, cultists. They're, they're, yeah, they are. They're cultists. They're like those crazy drank the Kool-Aid and died cult members. They're, you're so crazy. 
Um, and you're educating kids, which is frightening. And then what was that other term that uh, the, they, they brought us there? Spirit murdering. It's a new one on me, spirit murdering. Schools do nothing but spirit murder black and brown children by asking them to be on time or come up with the right answer. And if you don't think everything in our current system is white supremacy, then you got a problem. Okay. Boy, who did I? Who was I reading the other day? It was a, a, a black man. Oh, who the heck was it? Who said that they're trying to deny us technology, data, and logical thinking, which is the only way to get ahead, and reduce us to emotional thinking and emotional learning, which is how to enslave a people, take away from them the capabilities to actually excel in the modern world, and convince them that the only thing that matters is feelings. And I thought that was really a great point. Yeah, we've got a black representative who's going to talk about this once we get through all these clips. Yeah, yeah, let's go ahead. And they're, so they're aggressively indoctrinating in schools. Here's a, a clip explains how 52. Fox News also found the group hired paid activists across the country whose job they say is going into schools to dismantle oppressive structures by mapping, canvassing, building groups and coalitions, creating media and propaganda. Education cannot save us. We must save education. I want us to be feared. For example, if teachers find school uniforms to be oppressive, ATN would send in their activists to help abolish them. You call us, we will fund an activist in residence, and he or she or they will find out how. They'll do the research, they'll do all the organizing, teachers and parents show up, and we dismantle. And we hope to have hundreds of them around the country doing this work. And James Lindsay on his fabulous Twitter feed has talked about this a lot, how they are organized enough and they realize so few people show up to school board meetings and all that sort of stuff that they they swarm a school board meeting and get things through before you even know what happened. You know, either get books removed, programs removed or get things into your school that you don't want before even you even know what happened. Wow, and the school boards are just cowed into it. They're just better organized. Yeah, yeah, that was his point, really. It's kind of like what we're always talking about. Don't be so scared of three loud voices on Twitter or, you know, a whole bunch of tweets that come from one person. Uh, the school boards need to catch on. Uh, God, I wish I remembered exactly what it was. I think it was removal of a program that was called racist. But it was like three people complained, and the school board bent over backwards to satisfy three people that made a big deal with emails and calls and showing up to meetings. All right, we've almost buried the lead here, and and this is important. The fact that this group exists is surprising. The fact that they have any traction and are getting into schools is disgusting. But when the Biden administration was confronted by Fox News saying, hey, what do you have a link to this organization for? These people are radicals. I mean, they are seriously out of their minds. A Department of Education spokesman told them it was an error. Yeah, that was that was a mistake. And the follow-up was, what, what do you mean a mistake? Who made the mistake? In what sense was it a mistake from your point of view? Why is it in there? And they clammed up. Now, it is worth knowing that the Deputy Education Secretary... Uh, who used to head up the San Diego school system, Cindy Martin, is an old buddy of Bettina Love, that radical who was talking about spirit-murdering black and brown children. Hired her for $11,000 for a speaking event for San Diego schools. And she's good buddies with the acting assistant secretary who is also who uh, actually who was in charge of this guide when it was published. So all of them are buddies. And yet it was a mistake to include that. This reminds me so much 
of the, the few tapes we heard, but we heard accounts of more, where teachers said to the kids, there's no need to uh, mention your parents, the change in the syllabus, or uh, there's no need to bring this up at home because some of your parents uh, may be racists and, and wouldn't like it, so we'll just keep it between us. It's so scary. It really is. Yeah, it really is. And so the idea that you accidentally had this link and everything is just, uh, I'm sorry, I'm not buying it. Bullshit. Uh, do you want to hear from Representative Byron uh, Donalds of Florida? Sure. Hit it. I fully believe in diversity and inclusion, but what I do not believe and I do not stand for is this thought process that the country is irreparably racist and that white people are irreparably racist and there's nothing they can ever do except become anti-racist and address their white fragility. That is insane. It is divisive. It is not going to help our country become the more perfect union, which we frankly already are. I know you can't tell people's races from the radio and it shouldn't matter, but... Uh, that was a black member of the House of Representatives, and a little bit earlier, you heard a white teacher saying that. Just <laughs> she, you're you're every bit as crazy as the people who went to Ghana and drank the Kool Aid. I mean, you're that crazy with that whole what? What's that term she used? I need to. Uh, oh, I need to trouble my. Yeah. Uh, what's it? If you can, hey uh, Hanson, if you can just isolate her, I would just, like to be able to play that again. Yeah, because that is just so amazing. Um, uh, the, 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 the white crowd, and you, you saw this with some of the people that were kneeling before Black Lives Matters, uh, protesters at restaurants in Washington, D.C., just with a smile on their face, like weird cultists. They're so happy to talk about how I'm a racist, I'm a white supremacist, and I'm wrong about everything, and I'm willing to do whatever you tell me to do. I'm complying. I'm complying. It's so weird. And I got to admit, the uh, Ibram X. Kendi's and the uh, Robin D'Angelo's of the world, it was clever to come up with the term white, white fragility in the way they use it. It's like I uh, go, uh, I come home, I, I tell Judy, hey, I'm going to buy uh, $5,000 golf clubs, a boat, and I've got a girlfriend. And she says, whoa, whoa, maybe, no, and are you insane? And I say, oh, it's wife fragility. You object to these things which I'm proposing, which really objectively viewed are freaking nuts. And in the case of the white thing, the, the, the racist thing, they're clearly racist. But I say, oh, white fragility. Mm-hmm. And just nod my head like I just, ooh, I owned you. Look at me, wife fragility. It doesn't, oh, I almost dropped an F-bomb. That would have been exciting. <laughs> We've got a dump button for people listening on the air, but people online would have heard it. That is blanking meaningless. Right. It is, it is pretty clever. The whole anti-racist thing was clever because it oh, yeah. sounds perfectly fine, but it's not at all perfectly fine. And uh, you slip it by a whole bunch of politicians and, and, and news uh, talking heads on the news before they realize what it is. And yeah, and the white fragility, very clever. The, oh, you don't agree with me because you're so weak. I mean, it's kind of a catch. To, there's no way you can get out of that. Well, and what's so crazy about it is if, you know, getting back to the... Uh, the, the and the more you don't agree with me, the weaker you are. I mean, that's a hilarious right. premise. Right, yeah. And getting back to the uh, the marital metaphor, it's as if I unveiled a new program of every time Judy annoys me, I shove her. And I call it the anti-domestic violence program. I'm an anti-domestic violencist. And I'm going to do it by showing how violent I am. Just like these so-called anti-racists are the most raving, bold-faced, proud racists I've seen since the Klan's resurgence in the 1920s. So back to the idea that this was a mistake, this link was a mistake from the Biden administration. How are you feeling about that? Hilarious. 
No. Surely the they... people in charge are associated with this gal. They paid her five figures to show up and speak. God, at some level in the Biden administration, though, they had to know that this would have been radioactive. It, it could be that these activist uh, Department of Education people uh, wanted it in there, and it was supposed to be removed because somebody above their head said, either said, this stuff is repugnant, which I doubt, or said, that's nah, too hot. It reminds me of Barack Obama saying, no, we don't want socialized medicine. But then behind closed doors, he'd say, look, we got to get it halfway there to get there. So let's mm-hmm. just pretend we're not going all the way. So, yeah, it's it's horrific. Public schools are a cesspool of Marxist indoctrination right now. It's shocking. You probably. So one of the things that I bring to this work is um, a significant history of trying to trouble my own racial identity and trying to help other white teachers trouble their internalized white supremacy and anti-blackness. And she's got that wide-eyed look of the cultist. Just, oh, yeah. She's so yeah. enthused about talking about how racist she is. What a lunatic. Yeah, complete loon. Uh, if you don't know already, I think you do, but the days of send your kids to school, how was school today, and not paying attention, really, those are over, unfortunately. Unfortunately, that day is gone, and you need to pay close attention to what they're teaching your kid in school or what they're not teaching your kid in school. Um, I heard one person well put it very well. My kid knows everything about George Washington Carver and nothing about George Washington, and that's not good. Wow. Um, our text line is 415-295-KFTC. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Next hour, this is shaping up to be the worst year for illegal immigration in our nation's history. We'll get into the details. So yesterday we were discussing uh, George Orwell and socialism, communism, that sort of thing. And I questioned why, with his incredible insight and, and, um, and understanding of human nature... How he didn't understand where socialism had to go. And uh, Tim Sandifer, Tim the lawyer. Of George the Orwell, famously uh, an advocate of socialism. Yeah, he was. He was a lifelong socialist. And uh, Tim Sandifer from the uh, Goldwater Institute, Tim the lawyer, was listening and says, uh, you may already know all this, but your comments this morning about how it could be that Orwell was a socialist but didn't see that it led to totalitarianism struck a chord because it's something I've been writing a lot about recently, uh, his era, not Orwell himself, but his era. I think the reason this strikes us as weird, and, oh, I should depart from the text and say, um, this is, in a way, a, a sort of presentism that I engaged in. I didn't immerse myself in the context of the time. How dare you? Yeah, I know. I'm a bad person. But anyway, I think the reason this strikes us as weird is that we think of there being basically three big strains of political thought in the 20th century, communism, fascism, and capitalism. But at the time, a great many people, the vast majority of those who thought about this, did not see capitalism as a third option. They didn't really see it as an opinion or an option or a system at all. There wasn't a school of capitalism. Instead, capitalism looked to them like just nothing at all, like the absence of anything. Mm. That made it easier for them to think there were only two choices uh, between socialism, communism, fascism. Fascinating. I did not know this. Yeah, capitalism just happens. It's not an idea. It's not a system. 
Nobody was capitalist in a political sense. Or more precisely, there were such people, that, did, but they didn't have a theoretical basis for their views. They were just traditionalists. Uh, there wasn't an intellectual or theor- theoretical defense of capitalism. There were just a bunch of blowhards who did whatever uh, was going to make them rich. Yeah, all the all the thinkers I know that really are, write a lot about capitalism, that came, you know, mid-20th century, early 20th century, but... And here's where it gets really interesting. Now, combine that with another factor. The socialists were also pro-secularism, anti-sexism, anti-racism, at least in their rhetoric, and they appealed to traditional Christian concepts about charity and helping the poor. So what you see between 1880 and 1925 is a lot of people, and he name-checks several, who were socialists of a sort, because it promised to alleviate poverty by ending what looked like the chaos of capitalism, in which the rich just did whatever they wanted, alas, often with the government's help, or in another case, because it promised secularism and an end to the sexism that kept women out of work and independence. They never bothered to try to understand the economic theory behind socialism. They thought of themselves as socialists because they were revolutionaries who endorsed a somewhat vaguely understood vision of a more equal future. Just like a lot of college kids today who think they're progressives because they believe in gay rights, but don't really get what it would mean to say collectively own all property. And in Britain, the situation was made more complicated by the existence of class. If you looked at uh, Great Britain pre-WW1, it's like a time capsule of Victorianism. Uh, if you were born the son of a shoe shiner in England in 1880, you almost certainly were going to grow up to be a shoe shiner, marry a maid, and die a shoe shiner, raised a couple of kids who would become shoe shiners. Socialism aimed to destroy that class system. So there's a pseudo-libertarian aspect to this in the same way that there was a pseudo-libertarian aspect to American socialism in its promises to end sexism and racism. So, and he gets it, there's more to it. It's really interesting. But the long story short is socialists meant something very different to those people. They didn't mean collective ownership of the means of production, really. They just meant more equal treatment of everybody. That's funny. Tim sent you that. He sent me an obscene Willie Nelson joke. So I hmm. guess that's just the way he treats us differently. Well, fair enough. Armstrong and Getty.